0: This is an encore presentation from Veritas Radio.
1: The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
0: And tonight we will examine the relationship between the media, corporate America, and government. In a country where the top 1% control 90% of the wealth. Tonight's guest argues that the media system is nothing but a subsidiary of corporate America. It's a stunning fact that the media received $80 million in campaign ads for the 1980 election and $1 billion for the 2000 election. Large corporations own the television networks, and the sheer number of stations and channels available gives the public the illusion of choice. Yes, there are tons of channels to choose from, but this ostensible diversity conceals an actual uniformity. This is why Orwell Rolls in His Grave, which is the title of a DVD written and directed by tonight's special guest, Robert Kane Pappas.
1: You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for focused life force energy, MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, Divinia water, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, Want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick.
0: Robert Key Pappas is a director and writer, known for to H or not to H, or Will Rolls in his grave. Some fish can fly, and now I know. As I always say, from George Orwell, it's 1984. It was published 65 years ago on June 8th, 1949. If Orwell were alive today, he would demand royalties. And I would like to welcome for the first time on Veritas, Robert Kane Pappas. Hello, Robert, and welcome to Veritas.
2: Oh, hello, nice to meet you.
0: It's my pleasure. And, you know, a few weeks ago, I was browsing for future guests and my assistant producer mentioned two pieces of work. One, Orwell's, Orwell Rolls in His Grave and another one, To Age or, or Not To Age. And I just realized to, to produce two radio programs, Veritas, that deals with what we're going to be discussing tonight and also Sunny task, which discusses To Age or Not To Age. You'll be making an appearance on our other radio program also. But, how did you decide and when did you decide to begin your work to study the incestuous relationship between the media and the government and the corporations?
2: Well, I was I was a graduate film student uh, at NYU <clears throat> graduate film school in 1980 uh, in the run up to the election between Carter and Reagan. And at the same time, we were in the middle of something called the hostage crisis. So it, it 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 was very striking because for 400 days, and now I'm in the middle of uh, a year in graduate school, this story just kept going and going and going. We've become used to it with things like the O.J. Simpson trial. These stories could just go on and on and on. And I I just thought to myself that the way we were reporting news was really changing. Um, It it was just this this ongoing soap opera of the the, the hostages. So I I took a video camera. And, and one of my classmates, and we went down to the New York Post, and I, I cajoled my way into the editor, uh, and they allowed, they, they, and they sat down with us. He sat down with us, and this is 1980. And I started asking about um, Rupert Murdoch. had just uh, bought the, the New York Post for the second time, and and I, I was I was really saying, well, the way you guys report the news is very becoming very odd. It's your senators are all experts on everything, and and. But, but, they may not be experts, but you just repeat everything that that they have to say. so I started probing in this way because I was just amazed at this ongoing story, and I had no idea what there was what the behind of that story was uh, so I, I just did it as, as as a video exercise for graduate film school so it was then that I started my eye i started looking at the media a little differently uh, because the editor was very uh, he was very forthcoming and at the end of the uh, at the end of the interview he said to me oh yeah and i'm, I'm I'm leaving the post, so he had had enough of it, and um, I, I watched. So then I watched on the way up to the 2000 election, and um, I was really struck with what was covered, what was not covered, what stories that they could have told about uh, George W. Uh, and all this stuff. I, I was amazed because I had I had started talking to these um, these people that really know the media. And I said, jeepers, you know there's one bill of goods that the, the you know the general consumer gets, and i've so I really started looking at the media very seriously and and out of that grew Orwell rolls in his grave when i when I started to see how you can just kind of telescope how you tell a story so that the public really never knows what's going on. they never connect the, connect the dots, so anyway, I made Orwell rolls in his grave, and it came out in the theaters in two thousand and four and um it, it, it stepped on a number of toes. It was very funny. It, it got a, a very, very good reviews, except the New York Times had somebody <laughs> almost did a hit piece on it. And it was really, I was like, wow, they can really keep a film down if they want because it was too, it was too dangerous. It was too it kind of saw through the, the machinations of how the game is played.
0: Well, now you mentioned the Iran the Iranian hostage uh, crisis. What did you think when the Iran hostages were, the the our hostages were released the day President Reagan was inaugurated? Did you think about this coincidence at the time?
2: No, I did not. I did not. Um, I I I was I was I was researching all world worlds in his grave, and I started um, I started looking at the work of of a of a, of a journalist called Robert Parry. Who uh, is the editor of, uh, and publisher, I believe, of ConsortiumNews.com, and he he worked for all the major uh, news agencies, and he has a real background as a journalist, and he had discovered that in fact, and he was among others, but he, he really put the stacks together and researched it, going right down, you know, to the Capitol and the whole bit, and really, you know, getting in there with the with, with, with the hard copies, and that that suggested that emissaries of President Reagan, specifically Casey and uh, George Bush Sr., I mean, not George, but his father, rather, um, and um, had, had really had the, the, the hostages, de- they delayed their re- relief. They had them um, kept in stir in Iran so that Reagan would get elected. You know, they were kind of in... They did a deal, um, and that was really amazing. I was like, holy mackerel. So that story... Has been like an urban myth. No one's, no media uh, person, if they want to be a, um, a successful TV anchor, let's say, or, or high profile journalist, will ever go there because it will really kind of spell the doom to your career. And, um, it, it's really quite striking in the middle of it. So it's a story that's right there that it really happened. And, it, the, the evidence is, is, it came from left, right, and center. You know, the Russian secret service and all this, but immediate studiously will not explain what really happened because that would that would um, almost jog the the general public into you know the idea that they don't really know the way things really go down. It, it, so it was too big to uh, for journalists to get into. So at the time, I knew nothing. Since then, I. I, I it, in the the course of researching for Orwell roles in his grave, I I came upon that evidence. I just said, wow. And in fact, had I not had that, um, it was a small segment, it must only be five minutes of the film, but had I not had that segment in the film, I guarantee you, I wouldn't have had a couple of Hitman reviews on the side. You know, it's really funny. I overstepped uh, that restraint that everyone accords certain things that happen. but now no one will outwardly say, you
0: know, what happened. Certainly. And Danny uh, Schechter, I believe that's how you pronounce the last name, former CNN and ABC News producer, he said, quote, we falsely think of our country as a democracy when it has evolved into a mediocre- mediocracy, or as I call it, the media mediapoli. We're a media <laughs> that is supposed to check political abuse. It is part of the political abuse. How does someone from CNN and, and ABC can get a job in the media after making such a statement, Robert?
2: Well, I don't think Dan, Danny, who just died. Um,
0: oh, sorry to hear.
2: I, I, yeah, he, he uh, just died, I think it was uh, two or three weeks ago. And um, he, he he was a, a producer at ABC and, and some of the other um, mainstream media outlets. But when he went too far afield and wanted... To talk about these things, he has been mar- he was marginalized, so that the the number of people that would listen to Danny Schechter who's really quite quite knowledgeable about this stuff, or was uh, is it, fewer than it should be. Um, but, but the media has is is so hand in glove with both political interests and financial interests, and they're so you know through through the mechanism. Oh, the monetizing agent called commercials, which is their lifeblood. They get on the wrong side of, of any number of 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 of, of um, good versus you know harm to the public. Because when you talk in terms of a of, of billion dollars in the election of two thousand, which Charles uh, Lewis said to me on on the air. I think the last election cycle was it last year or the last presidential election cycle it's more like five billion dollars. Five
0: so, billion dollars
2: in ads, you know, wow. in, you know in the run-up to an election. So what what has happened is that the media, these, this, you know, the Citizens United, the the, the 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 spigot is open of of people running ads, running negative ads, and all this type of stuff. It's such a it's such a cash cow for the networks, that they simply can't describe it to the public for what it really is. It, 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 what it is, is it's just ruining the political system so that it's, it's, it's really a matter of just raising money and putting on commercials. But they get all the money. They make all that income. So it's it's really kind of a wink and a nod between these various entities. So the media is really part of the problem.
0: Now, I hear Hillary Clinton alone is expected to spend over $1 billion dollars Inats just just her, so it's 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 not far fetched to to think that every election cycle we expect more and more billions of dollars. So if that's the case, what voice does a good honest politician or or not? I hate to use that word. Somebody who really wants to help and become a you know run for public office without money, do they even have a prayer of a chance of winning?
2: I would think not. Right it it's it's i think it's crazy on that level which you basically have to have access to enormous wealth to run but i think it's even it's even kind of um it's gotten even wilder in that they can game uh, uh, let me just uh, back up people popular do not popularly elect the president right Hundred million people vote, or whatever it is, and you'll see what they voted. But that's not the way the game actually plays out. It actually plays out in electoral votes.
3: Electoral
0: college, so,
2: right? Electoral college. So, so the game has been like micronized to the point where they're they know if we cut, you know, if it's if we've got this state, this state, and this state, and they're doing the math of the electoral votes. It boils down to a few states with <laughs> that could possibly go one way or the other. And that game within that state is is just absolutely. They, they try to gerrymander it. They try to do almost everything. They, 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 it, it becomes an issue of of keeping people from voting. It it it, it it's really it's really striking. So that in, in uh, it was probably five or six years ago where I saw the lay of the land and I said, oh, the next oh, going eventually after this cycle, it's going to be Jeb Bush against Hillary, and you can see it coming. So then we have immediate kabuki theater of A, who can really be the candidates, right? And then how they, they, they somehow contend in just a few states. So it's very, very odd how it plays out now. And I would, I would argue, like I happened to be um, in uh, not Orlando, but was uh, Tampa uh, last year. And I went to a 7 Coffee, donuts—that routine—they're ubiquitous. And there was the New York Post it was the only paper out of Florida, you know, being sold on the stand. And I went, "Wow, now this has got to be a losing proposition for, for Rupert Mur- Murdoch, but he has such power—example of power—that he puts his papers in every 7 Seven Eleven in Florida, and that—and his paper is just—it's not a paper; it's just propaganda." Marketing. But he, is, he absolutely markets these crazy ideas of his all year long out of state with a paper. So when the people go into 7 Eleven and get a coffee, they're seeing Rupert Murdoch's ideas out of New York. So I was thinking the other day that <clears throat> this type of on the ground manipulation is you know, advertising, marketing of ideas. If you probably look at these, these swing states to see just how odd it's gotten, you're probably going to see that they try to infiltrate through their media and the fact that these companies own so many levels, they're, they're, they're vertically integrated. They'll, they own the magazines, they own the book publishers, they own the radio stations, papers, the T V, all this stuff. So that you can really kind of I, I'm gonna watch with interest how our next presidential election goes in terms of um, just how they just try to manipulate just a few states and the people in those states that, that actually swing a presidential election. I'm gonna look I'm gonna look at that very carefully in the run up to the election.
0: And at the end of this show I really want to have dissected all of this because I'm so interested. Now, I remember, Robert, when I was a child, and you probably do too, reporters, journalists used to create news. They would investigate and, and present their findings in an unbiased manner. What happened to that reporter, you and I remember from our childhood, especially those who were not afraid to bring the juicy stories? The news were reported. Now they're managed. Did someone put them on a leash?
2: Well, I think a couple of things happen. is that it costs money to do good reporting. That's the first thing. Hiring reporters is expensive. So the way the game goes down now is that if there's a story, everybody's there at that story. It's almost like you can can watch the news on any of the major outlets, the mainstream outlets. You can switch the station from NBC to ABC to CBS to CNN to Fox, and you're going to get very similar reporting. They're all going to be at the crash. They're all going to be at the fire, the tragedy, the man bites dogs story. And they sell that. And by each of them selling that, it's almost like Coney Island on this block. You're going to go to this amusement or that amusement or that amusement, but those are exactly what you're going to see. You are not going to go off and get some completely different analysis or different set of ideas going down that day. It's, It's going to be what the prescribed story is for that day, and that's the way it's evolved. So as a reporter, you're a bad economic casualty. You're also a load because you cost money, especially if you're a senior person that knows what they're doing, right? You want to hire young people. You want to pay them as little as possible. You're not going to pay them to do a lot of research because that costs money, right? You really want to tear it down. That's so that there's an economic issue, and the reporters know that. Because they have just a few major players that could make them a reasonable livelihood, you know they can have a house pay their mortgage and if they if they go outside that that little from a to b they they they, they risk their livelihood they do not risk their livelihood by all showing up at that same fire. they risk their livelihood if they dig too deeply on subjects that are not we're well, not interested in that, and then they get a little too well, I really think we should do that. And and then their employer says, we're not really interested in that particular story about X powerful person or whatever, something really a little big underneath, a big underneath thing. And then then they have a choice. You can either keep your job and go with the flow, or you can make yourself $30,000, $40,000 or something as a freelance person or, or working for a small newspaper somewhere. So you can see that when you only have a few employers, there's not twenty or thirty major employers who could really put you to work. There's just a handful. And if you if you, you if you get on the wrong side of one, you can easily get on the wrong side of all. So you can just clearly see that reporters are people. They they, they make a living. They have to self censor in the way the game is played right now, which is really a tragedy.
0: Oh yes, and if you're blacklisted by one well, the other five will blacklist you too, so it's not that difficult to just ban somebody from the industry. And when we think of special interests, we think of oil and energy, defense contractors, big pharma, etc. But that's not the case, folks. The most powerful special interest in Washington is the media and their weapon. The ultimate political power is controlling perception. But as George Orwell Included in his his novel Nineteen Eighty Four, Winston Smith worked at the Ministry of Truth, but his job was not to ensure that the truth was preserved. Quite the contrary. Can you tell us more, Robert?
2: <laughs> you're quoting you're quoting a quote from the movie, as yeah, I remember. Of course. Um, well, I, I don't know. I, I do know that number one, the use of euphemisms in in um that a law that's mounted in congress and bob mcchesney said this to me and it was striking he said the whole game is is that two sentence pre-see about what the law is and mm-hmm. it's it's usually or its name is in direct conflict with what it's really doing it's like uh, uh, the, let's the free the internet law and, and but really what's behind it is to, like, lock it up in a few privatized hands. But you call it free. So they have certain words that they attach to, to things. And, and when they name a law, it's the exact opposite. It's very strange. The death tax. Bernie Sanders said this to me. He goes, yeah, death tax. And what they do is they focus these focus group these words. And it's it's really striking. Um, hey, who wants a death tax? You <laughs> know? That means an inheritance tax. So the idea is obviously the people that have a lot of dough that they want to pass on to their heirs, we're talking, you know, billions. The real law is they, they want to get rid of the inheritance tax. Well, that's going to really help if, if you basically have massive fortunes that are just handed from generation to generation, you know, but, but as I said, so, so you name things in a, in a, in a way, and that has to do with the ministry of truth. The other thing is getting to the to – the, you can actually now, and this is an interesting thing for the Internet, is you can just put all these little facades of truth mm-hmm. on the Internet and kind of prop up your your angle if you're creating the stories that are even the, uh, the backup for your false truth. And it becomes astroturfing and doing all kinds of crazy stuff that's basically – putting facts on the ground that aren't even real to support a thesis that is, is, is trumped up for one reason or another. So this is very, very crazy stuff that we're now, well, the Internet is the embodiment of and, and how this is going to play out. Well, con- really controlled
0: know. opposition. You, I'm so glad you're saying this because with the advent of the Internet, when you produced the movie about a decade ago, we still had people who said, I don't want a computer. But now most people are are getting into the Internet. So you wonder how many truth outfits are out there when in reality they're probably financed by, who knows, the CIA and, and who knows you know who's supporting and financing them when in reality they're a controlled opposition to keep people you know thinking oh this person is a, is a fraud you know they're just trying to to brainwash the people to believe something when in reality they have the control over that quote unquote half truth
2: well it's it's it's, we, it's really hard to know where it's going to go right you really what we do now is we have issues of privacy that are are and, and you can you can t- tell me what you think. But privacy is a very funny thing, and it's almost non-existent now, okay? So the film that won the Academy Award for Best Documentary, Citizen Four, note that since it won the documentary, I believe it was the end of February, it, the media never ran with that. It, it was an amazing situation, amazing story. It was almost like... the The Segruda film, in real time, this CIA contractor working for Boz Allen, military family, he discovers that all our information is being swept up, vacuumed up, and that the use of that information is highly questionable. And it's also a private contractor that he worked for that is sweeping it up. Okay. By the way, that private contractor, Boz Allen, right, that works in that realm for the CIA, is owned by the Carlyle Group. Now, the Carlyle Group is the largest private—I believe—I'm not—I believe it's the largest private money group in the world. All private money. Okay. They own many companies. They—they buy this company. They buy that company. They are a private contractor that has all that information. Snowden was one of their employees. If there's a backdoor to any of that collection and it's in the hands of a private contractor, the amount of industrial espionage or or inside trading the knowledge that you would have of anything going on in firms, economics, businesses, across the world, the globe, is just shocking to understand that this is a private contractor. To to just get your mind around that. Now Snowden comes out with this. It's an amazing thing to really just even to begin to grasp. The heads emeritus of this company are the Elder Bush, Baker, Major, and they look they, they read like the list of heads of the, State, ex-heads of state, prime ministers, and all this. And I'm like, what? I, I just, you know, you do your research, you look at it, and say, whoa, 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 whoa. So this movie comes out and wins the Academy Award. The media, it's like that movie never won anything. It's playing in one movie theater in New York City half a time a day. I said, what? So someone basically said, Someone, somewhere, in one of whoever put it out, it was probably—I don't know exactly who distributed it—but they were certainly dissuaded from putting a couple of extra million dollars in P&A, right? Princeton Advertising, i.e., marketing, which would have made that film be seen by 20 million people, or 10 million people, versus three or four. And there's a big difference between 20 and 30 million people seeing your movie and a couple of million. You understand now. So, mm-hmm. so this is um, long-winded example of, of telling you that going forward with the ubiquitousness of information, issues of privacy and privatizing all this information in government contractors, you can just start to see one of the roads we are going down. Not in, in terms of marketing every person, you know, to the to an inch of their life, but also using that information. To a politician, it, you can easily blackmail. The ubiquitous of information in private hands. So these are issues going forward. That uh, believe me, people have asked me to make a sequel of Orwell for the last ten years, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm on to other projects, but I, I'm a, at least I'm an observer, and I can see the issues going forward that some very you know smart people are actually looking into. So.
0: Well, we wouldn't be talking today if I mean, it's been a decade after the, the movie. I watched it last night a couple of times, and I can see that what what you discussed there has even magnified now. I mean, this Orwell script is becoming reality. That's why I joke and I say that Orwell should be expecting some royalties if we were alive today. But years ago, since you're talking about all these you know, companies, years ago when Facebook started, and Google started offering free email. And then YouTube came along. I said, these were these are nothing but data mining tentacles of our government to monitor and control perception. There's no such thing as a free lunch. But people think, oh my goodness, I have free email now. I have Facebook to be in touch with everybody. I can tell you where I am. I can tell you if I have a headache. I can tell you at which restaurant and what trip I'm going to take. Why do they even need an intelligence apparatus like the CIA when they have something like Facebook?
2: <clears throat> well, I think Facebook and these people are trying to make money, right? They're trying to, they're trying to make it through some monetizing ads, uh, ads and all, all, kind, all kinds of stuff that they're going to take money out of you, okay? What it gets a little more frightening is when the when the privacy issue is used to control people that have, are questioning the system. So, you're a politician or you're an activist. Uh, if you're um, if if you're if you're asking the wrong questions, they can apply pressure. There is no one in this country that I know of or have ever met that doesn't have some piece of information that could be used against them to at least embarrass them. So that's that's the, the next level. So it's one thing to take the money out of our pockets, more ads, you know, marinate us in, in, in commercials. That's one thing. And annoy us and, and stick us, you know, constantly badger us with the stuff we don't want. But it's another thing to control anyone who gets out of line because you have all this information. First, they monetize us, and they're going to make sure they get every last penny out of us. The next level is they want to keep you in line, and that's a little bit, that's a little tougher for me.
0: So you're saying that digging dirt has become easier, because in the past, you know, every politician, one of the the goals of, of those in control is to dig dirt on those politicians so that they can subvert them at the time when there's legislation and they don't want to toy the party line. They... There's a little envelope that goes under your office. You open it and you say, you know, do you want your wife to see this? Well, then vote for this legislation. But this is happening now in a more generalized way for the entire population. Somebody goes, tries to apply for a job. Well, they're looking at your Facebook account. And if they see questionable pictures, then you're done. So digging dirt has become easier is what you're saying.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Excuse me. You can see that there's money, right? There's money in it. And and you can see that some of our our, what, our 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 worst qualities can be can be magnified, and not just as an individual, but as a group. You know, the race to the bottom or something where, well, legalized extortion and blackmail is money in that. <laughs> it's going to get worse, right? I don't know how. I'm not sure what to do at this point. You know, should it be total encryption? And 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 this is all done of course in, in, in the face of the the never ending war, which really Orwell was about, right? It's there's always a new enemy. You can't even keep them straight. It's like, oh no, it's the bad guy is Syria. No, oh, the bad guy is Saddam. No, it's ISIS and, and they, they mark it so that you know, Al Qaeda was kind of a weak word, but ISIS the Isis man cometh it's crazy and it's and it's catchy, and they and you can just see that the whole thing feels like the, the the latest marketing game to what end well, I think that the fact that the oil prices has come down so much these people are really really worried you know we've got to absolutely get that oil price. we've got to have a little conflict around Iran, a major oil producer we, I feel like they're just they're trying to pump the stock you know it's kind of you know it's pretty tawdry, but the public's going you know. I like 250 oil versus 450 oil. Uh, you know, my, my bills went down and, and and I can go visit grandma. You follow? And of course they're, they're in a, they're in a tough position. Now we've got to have a war in there, man, that, that damn oil price. And, and we've got alternative fuels, fuels now and people are driving cars that get 50 miles a gallon. And, 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 and we're, we're kind of like getting a little bit better at that, uh, alternative energy. And, oh, damn, man, we, we gotta, we gotta get that supply of oil to be threatened as a, as a public relations move. It's something like that. that, that you can just see it. They're, they're like spoiling for, uh, for, for 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 a conflict that will get that price of oil up there.
0: Absolutely. And I spoke with a geopolitical expert last week and I asked the same question. You know, why is it that we continue seeing the price of oil going down? And he told me that it was because the United States became last year the biggest exporter of oil. I didn't know that. And Saudi Arabia does not want to let that continue and that's why they have continued producing and they don't care about demand being lower and they want to continue the price like that so that we can stop uh, selling oil on on this side of the world. Same thing with the interest. Why are the, the you know, the, the, I'm sorry, the strength of the dollar? Why is, uh, why are we so strong dollar-wise when our economy is really not that great? And I was told, well, it's because the, the Fed chairman is promising that the interest rates will go up. It hasn't happened yet. She may be bluffing. So everybody's investing in dollars, and that's why everybody else's currency is going down. So it's all perception.
2: Well, that's where I'll be living.
0: <laughs> now, how, how similar... Robert, how similar is Orwell's world of 1984 to today's world in comparison to when you produced your movie and now?
2: Well, I think he did a really good job. Orwell rolls in His Grave is is, is, rather 1984 is a novel. Uh, Animal Farm is a novel. If you've read his essays, and I have, uh, George Orwell, he's he's a very perceptive man. So, so he came up with some paradigm, and kind of, kind of drew out the slope that we're on, right? And did it in an artistic way, but and it, all he had, I guess, that we don't have now, is that the this the game had gotten a little more serious or a little more extreme in the form of the novel. But it looks like the, the the basic mechanisms are there now, right? I think so. It looks like the basic mechanisms of what was going down are here now. Right?
0: Well, war is peace. We have this eternal war. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. All these phrases that, to me, they're truth now being applied to today's society. But it's not far-fetched to realize that a media... System controlled by six multinational corporations—is it six or five corporations with the ability to overwhelm all competing voices? Could they be able to turn lies into truth?
2: No, I I think clearly that that you can. Right? You just—I'm um—I don't know about you, but I would love to ask a bunch of pundits how they can keep their job when they're wrong constantly. A pundit on TV. They're there for 30, 30, sometimes 50 years, and they just, they're just stenographers and they they predict the future and they're invariably wrong. But they never get, they never lose the game. <laughs> it's like, did nothing but, you know, get in, give up 100 runs, but he starts the next week. It's that type of thing. So, lies and truth. It, 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 I, I, I think it's kind of like I think it's they probably consider it to be quaint. Uh, they're just doing a job, you know, and and it's really it's really cheap to have a bunch of talking heads on TV, right? Arguing and, and giving their opinions as opposed to going out and ferreting out what actually is the truth. It, it, it costs money. Now you stick everybody in the studio, and we'll discuss. um the very important things this week on Sunday, and then we'll be—we're setting the stage for <laughs> right. what we're talking about. It's and it's really pretty—it's pretty ridiculous. But they never—they never lose. They are just these this very strange group of people who just all together say, "Okay, we are going right." It's Hillary at having a a lunch no this week it's it's obama being weak but not strong and then it's 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 it's, it's, and the public the public are really they're into other things they they don't get their news most people really don't read a lot right they don't go in for more than one opinion you can see it if, if someone leans left or leans right, you can almost see the, the one or two sources that they have, or, or what TV station they have on in their house in the background. So they kind of like get their information as if they're like passing through the room and the TV is on, or some something that's you know, or the radio's on on you know, talk radio, or it could be just your news stations. It's on in the background, and and they they generally get wind of something. They don't go any further, you know. We're inundated with sports. Sports is really strong, you know. It that really sells products, you know. So they they've got that going from one end of the year to the other. And so when you when you when at the end of the day, the the public really isn't paying attention. So you you can kind of you can kind of like jerry rig reality, you know. And that seems like that's what's going on
0: or as they call it uh, it's bread and circuses it's just a distraction when it comes to sports and as you say one season ends for football and then baseball begins and then basketball et cetera. but yeah scenographers for the government now how can these global corporations answer to the people when they're the ones who buy politicians quote unquote the people with contributions well
2: problem isn't it? um it seems to me that the guy that goes to jail, right, uh, forever, right, tragically, his family exploded, Bernie Madoff, right? He did a Ponzi scheme where he, he really fleeced a number of, 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 of wealthy patrons, okay? He's off to jail for 200 and something years or something, you know, that's a one-way ticket. But if, I realize that he... It was not a one-man band, but it was a very small band. You know, it was a teeny couple of people involved in this that were really in the inside. So he's history. Those prosecutors come down on him and end the story, Bernie. You are gone. But he didn't have that huge bureaucracy and that huge corporate power behind him. The guys that played game with the mortgages and Chase and all these Goldman, and all these major players. There hasn't been an indictment anywhere unless it's a once-off guy that they, it's, it's, it, 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 there are institutions that are so strong that the people and the corporate veil absolutely insulates them from actually going to jail. If you notice this, it just seems like a trend that only certain types of, not just certain types of crimes, but individuals without that backing of these major organizations can be indicted, but not the real players. It's almost like certain levels, the power is so strong that they're indictment proof.
0: Well, I'm still wondering if Kenneth Lay really committed suicide or died. I didn't see the body. <laughs> I mean, I bet you I'm not the only one who thinks that. But back in 1980, when you were in... Graduate film school, you mentioned this. You interviewed the editor of uh, Rupert Murdoch's uh, Washington Post newspaper, Peter uh, Mitchellmore. Can you share with It was with actually you... New York Post. Oh, New York, New po- York Post. Post. My apologies, the New York Post. Can you share with uh, what you learned from that interview?
2: Very witty fellow, <laughs> Peter Mitchell Moore, um, very friendly, that I didn't really understand the way news was reported, and uh, it was changing. And this senior editor uh, realized it was changing, and he was packing it in uh, which I did not know while I was interviewing him. He just told me at the end of, at the end of the interview. So that that just uh, the veil started to come off. How the sausage is actually made, how how the media and the news are made, and why they're made that way. So I, I watched it. Because of that of that interview, I I kept the weather eye on it and uh, went off and made other types of movies. I tend to make um, different types of movies according to what interests me. Uh, right now, I'm involved in in the um, the biology behind aging, and uh, I made a picture on that that came out in 2010. Uh, but now I'm doing series because it's a really, really big subject. It's, it's going to be up there with the advent of the computer in terms of, of, of the human condition. That's for you. You want to interview me, I guess, on this uh, next week. That's correct. But, Um I, I just um, I went on and made other type movies, but I, I kept my eye on on, on these um, on these issues of media, just watching it, so that I, I, I eventually had a thesis that I, I, I felt could hold water about how it was evolving and then i made the movie
0: and that's why i like to talk to people like you because you have full spectrum you're not only discussing the media you're also discussing you know the the science behind aging i recently interviewed dr ellen langer you probably are familiar with her work uh same thing you should put a, a number of of elderly in in a specific location that mirrored the 1950s give them newspapers of the 1950s and i guess what you know we'll, we'll discuss this next week when we do the the other interview but uh, then there's Charles Lewis former 60 minutes producer who saw the light he left 60 minutes and created a nonpartisan news organization what did you learn from him and is his organization still operational today
2: Uh, Yes, the Center of Public Integrity is is working right now. Um, Charles founded it, he funded it, uh, did a lot of that, and then he put it in strong financial footing so that they could uh, fight all the lawsuits that that had been engendered by their their. by the reporting and Charles now uh, Chuck is his name actually Chuck Lewis now is a professor at I believe it's American University uh, in media he he has since relinquished uh, ac- uh, active leadership in the Center for Public Integrity and, it's, and it's, you know, he writes books and stuff like that but um, to, to comment he, he, he worked on In 60 Minutes and he just felt that even 60 minutes was just involved in in, in, in it, it was very successful because they had really good short well put together stories but he just felt that it because of the time constraints and stuff they couldn't really get in and say this is the way it really works and, and get some really valuable valuable information he felt it was more of a a really well made you know 10 minute documentary uh that he liked, but that he, he, he wanted to move on from and do some real digging. So he started the Center for Public, Public Integrity. And in fact, the it's um, funny, the, um, the one sheet for the movie, the poster, comes from a photograph in the office of, of the Center for Public Integrity. I was walking down the hallway one day, because I had filmed there a number of days, And I saw this poster, and it was this guy, it was a cartoon, and the guy is walking up the stairs of the Capitol, and he has a newspaper underneath his arm. And out of his newspaper are, like, a couple of little pundits and newspaper reporters with their heads. They're, like, rolled up in the newspaper as he's heading up the stairs to the Capitol. He has them in his, rolled up in their newspaper, and then a couple of them, like, peeping out from his pocket. I was like, "This is perfect." So I, um, I, I had someone take a picture, uh, of the poster in his office and get it up to me, one of his assistants. And I, um, I went to the artist who lives in Long Island, and uh, outside of New York City. I, I tracked him down. I said, "Can I use this 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 drawing you made?" I didn't even know why he'd done it. The guy's, you know, probably about 80 now. Uh, it wasn't then, but he is now, I think. And um, I said, "Can I use it?" Absolutely, no problem. <laughs> so I ended up getting the the visual for the ad campaign for the movie and the one sheet from a poster in Charles Lewis's Washington office, which is kind of funny.
0: It's great to do a director's cut here that you're explaining to me why, because I was wondering where that came from. And I'm glad that you explained. Now, people sense that the financial elites and, and the political elites are one of the same. This is just perception has become reality. If that's the case, do we even have a choice? And if not, is election day just a, an illusion of choice?
2: Well, it's uh, kind of in a pickle, no? Um, I think there is some choice. I, 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 um, I've become very savvy in terms of how you intervene, and I, I get to some scientists that I've become close to that are intervening in some biological processes. You have to know where to intervene, and otherwise you, you're just you're spinning your wheels. So I would say that the choice that we can exercise in an election, if we can actually get our votes to be counted, which is a whole nother issue, I think that Judicial appointments are the one thing that would make me vote for uh, Hillary Clinton because the choices for Supreme Court justices that uh, George W. and his father uh, made were really strikingly bad. And Clarence Thomas, what are you kidding? And he's not the only one. Alito, uh, these are very highly partisan people these are not what I would call people that really are are looking to see if it's constitutional or not it's a predetermined game uh justice chief justice roberts frightening. he he has just just before he was uh nominated for the supreme court he adopted two toe heads two- and three-year-old children. They looked just like him and his wife, blonde, you know, really the perfect family. He adopted them. He adopted them out of a South American country. They were born in Ireland. How in God's name did that happen? The New York Times actually sent a reporter and started look, thinking about looking into it. They were warned off this story so completely it has gone nowhere. All we know is that you're not allowed to adopt children that are born in Ireland, you're an Irish resident, an Ireland resident. How this went down is absolutely something. Here's another one of these stories that the media is a hot potato. They would no more touch that than fly to the moon. What does that mean? Well, it means it's possible that someone has something on the chief justice of the Supreme court who did something that is highly illegal. So, Back to my point. I don't know why I'm sounding so strident. <laughs> Judicial appointments. I don't care if they're left, right, or center, but they've got to be people that are looking at
0: With how integrity.
2: the Constitution is read. It's not just some right. exercise in me papering over my predetermined what I'm going to vote for. And, and Citizens United is a case in point. That Supreme Court, our Supreme Court, has let loose such an amount of money in politics. In fact, Hillary Clinton is calling for constitutional amendment, which wouldn't be a bad idea. But the way to get out of get out of this 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 cul-de-sac here is to keep the presidency and, and, and in the Democrat hands. I have to say, and get some people in the Supreme Court that are actually you know looking at the law and not a predetermined outcome because right now they have made some decisions that are so harmful to the political system is that it's it, it takes your breath away and it's done for reasons and it's 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 and it was and, and they were appointed a, a, or nominated and 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 you had to know they were problematic but they but they they pulled them through so in terms of intervening i believe you need to start to, to formulate, reformulate our Supreme Court, which unlike any other layer, and I, I learned this when I was researching Orwell, uh, I, I interviewed the um, a, 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 um, a law professor at NYU, and he explained to me that Stephen Gillers was his, was his name, and he explained to me that the Supreme Court does not have to recuse himself or cannot be recruited recused if there's a conflict of interest unlike other levels of the judiciary so you can have these outright conflicts of interest and it's brutal when you really start examining the conflicts of interest with Clarence Thomas and his wife I mean she was a Bush you know, she was working for Bush in, in the run up in the 2000 election I mean hello you can't have that type of conflict of interest in the Supreme Court but you can because they don't have to recuse themselves. So anyway, to make a long chat short, I I think that you need to reshape the Supreme Court to people that are actually following the Constitution and not just a bunch of hacks that are in, that are completely you know made men. They're bought and sold. It's really bad.
0: Now speaking of conflict of interest, uh, did not Bush at Jr. Junior- since we're talking about the Supreme Court justices, didn't Bush Jr. appoint Judge Scalia's son and Rinquist's daughter to positions in his administration? These are two Supreme Court judges, folks. Where does the conflict interest end? And that's, of course, after he was elected under questionable circumstances.
2: Yeah, this is a real problem, and we have to get out of this cul-de-sac, or else we're we're uh, just—the Constitution doesn't mean anything. You know, they can say up is down. It's they're they're the final arbiters, and, and and you know I can see that that's a point that I believe underneath it, people, I'm sure, know this. I'm sure the GOP knows it. And if you were to have, remember, people are eventually going to retire, and, and and that if if you have another eight years of de- Democrats in the presidency. That may, you may actually, the five to four may become four to five, and then you might actually have this campaign finance and, 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 and corporations, uh, being declared people, which I haven't found their graves. Maybe it will come to pass that, you know, the corporation won't have all our rights and none of our liabilities. And that's, so these are very, very major questions that I believe can be, can be addressed in the courts.
0: But isn't a problem also, Robert, the two-party system? I'm personally apolitical now. I used to belong to one party, then to another. I don't like labels. I could be conservative in certain areas and then I could be liberal in others. I don't fit a mold. So if somebody's out there who wants to campaign on their own without the PACs and super PACs, they can't do it. They have to just fall within the fold of the Republican Party or the Democrat Party, so they are still subjugated by this one puppeteer.
2: Well, we don't have a parliamentary system, and that it may mean that we're not as sophisticated. Um, you know, two, two sizes at all is that's a pretty tough racket. No, when you have the yes. 300 million people from as varied as this country, right? Kind of. Kind of really, uh, you to have vanilla or chocolate.
0: <laughs> vanilla chocolate, and then all of a sudden, if you get if you have some strawberry every few elections, then they're used as the the wild card. Take uh, Ross Perot as an example. Take uh, Ron Paul as an example. They're just uh, for people to vent and to you know give a few votes, which usually turns the scales, don't you think?
2: Well. And Ross Perot's, I'm not a historian, but I believe he's the reason that Clinton uh, was elected, no? Oh, absolutely. Actually, I, uh,
0: I know that for a fact.
2: Clinton wouldn't have been elected. Uh, he didn't have any kind of mandate. He just had Ross Perot in the, in the race, <laughs> right?
0: Well, the reason why Ross Perot would run is because he hated Bush. And I don't want to get into all the details here, but there's a radio program I did with a former congressman who told me exactly what happened when Ross went to the White House, spoke wanted to speak with Reagan, was not allowed, spoke with Bush because he found through some some people in government that we have left some of our troops in Vietnam and they were still alive. And he went there to try to rescue them and Bush basically told him to shut up and get out of the White House. And he said to himself, well... I'm not going to allow you to become president, and this is the information I've gotten. I don't know what you've gotten.
2: I don't. I don't have any of that. <laughs> Sounds like he's he's a pretty uh, tough customer, Perot. Right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, he had the uh, he had the money at least. Now, when anthropologists—and this is, of course, part of your your movie—when anthropologists dig us up hundreds of years down the road, will they even understand us with the re- records we've left behind, uh, Robert?
2: Well, I guess, I guess, was it news reporting was the first draft of history or something? So we're doing a very bad job with, with the first draft, right? And then I guess, I guess, someone writes a book later and you hope they get a, they get a little better and they go a little deeper. But it's really hard because it, it, I, I think it, it's very easy to get a lie, you just keep, populating it as truth or, 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 or transplanting it to here, there and everywhere and everyone says the same lie and then it was very funny in 1980 I remember I'm a student and outside down the street in Wall Street I started interviewing people about if they believe what they read and I had, there were excerpts in, in that this small film I made this little video and one woman said well I see it on the post, I see it in the in Times, and I go home, I turn on Channel 5, and it's there too. It has to be true. Right. So, a lie repeated, and you hear it, let's just stipulate it's a given piece of information is a lie, and you have it repeated here, here, and this expert parents it, and this other reporter here that. Doesn't want to do any digging, and he's got 15 minutes to his story. He repeats it, and this guy repeats it, and they go, "Hey, must be true." So, what we got going here is a lot of very, a lot of very murky history, right? So, it's not clear if they're going to be able to, if they're going to be able to do like a, whatever they call it, a pathological pathology on us. <laughs>
0: If I'm an anthropologist, you know,
2: really, we're, we're, we're kind of you know we're in are in we're in tough, right?
0: <laughs> Absolutely. If I'm an anthropologist in the future and I, I start reading well, whatever it's left behind, because if there's a nuclear war, what have you, what do we have left? At least the ancient ones kept a lot of the knowledge uh, in stone. What do we have? Paper, and we what do we have? Silicon chips to store our our data. So will they even know about us if that's what we leave behind? Now, I hardly watch TV, and sometimes in the car, I turn on the radio to talk radio. Radio shows are either about the left or the right. It's apparent to me that whoever's at the top is just laughing, Robert, at the division that is created by this eternal fight between left and right. Divide and conquer is key, because a society that is divided will always be weak, and they can't have a strong, united society. Do you see that, too?
2: Well, it... (sighs) I can I can say that the left for instance and this I, I found out in 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 uh in researching Orwell and this is very interesting in 1970 or 71 uh a, a lawyer who was to become a supreme court justice and I forget his name but I forget he he was appointed by Nixon he wrote fifty eight page treatise or something saying the this this whole consumer uh, uh protect the consumer and all this type of stuff that, that's starting to happen now. this is an I guess product of the late sixties or the seventies he said we've got to, we've got to, it's discrediting capitalism and all this we have to underwrite intellectuals and get our ideas out there and from this 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 treatise. His name was Justice Powell, William Powell, I believe. And from this treatise, the right brilliantly decided to really fund all their left, right-leaning students, people who were coming out of, out of colleges and they, and they wanted to work someplace so you can get into the American Enterprise Institute, think tanks. These think tanks are going to publish, publish, publish. They're gonna publish and they're gonna keep publishing. And it's gonna publish the beauty of the free market and the magic of the free market and the free market is God and all this type of stuff. Corporate's a person, all this type of stuff. And we're going to give them jobs doing this. And it was unbelievably successful. We're gonna put we're gonna have chairs in this at at this or that university. We're gonna get our ideas out there. And the right did it really well. The left has no such mechanism. There is no place where a, a, a thinker, a progressive thinker, can go and have a good job paying them six figures and get your get your pamphlets published, and that's your job. You work for Boopie, and you're going to get really, you're going to really just expound the way you and I are expounding right now, and we're going to give you a, a livable income. You can pay your mortgage. Doesn't happen on the left it happens on the right and they're unbelievably good at it because why? I find that with progressives there are some people that are diehards you sound like one given the fact that you have the station but they don't have that type of mechanism to fund you know and and that is a real problem uh, so there is no mechanism on the left to fund their their thinkers. So you get, you, get a, you get a slapdash type situation on the left. Someone has a website. Um, they can hardly fund it. They end up having to, they, they, you know, the only way they're going to make money is if they can advertise. And, 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 it, and it kind of dilutes what's going down, in my opinion.
0: There are other ways to do that. And we'll take a break in a moment. Let me just say this and we'll take the break. Uh, you know, fascinating irony. With the advent of the internet, we have more instant information as consumers now and as citizens than we've ever had in our history. That doesn't necessarily mean, folks, that we're better informed, but what about the hundreds of channels that we have available to us? The movies, the books that come out on a daily basis. Isn't this choice, Mel and Robert? No, when they're all owned by five or six corporations. Again, the illusion of choice. But when we return with Robert King Pappas, I want to discuss who may be, or what may be, actually, rather, in the chopping block. Or not chopping block, but a a, a a revamping. When there's a new technology that comes out, radio, TV, and now the Internet, always these companies come in and they change it for their own benefit. Right now, we have an Internet that allows Robert King Pappas and I to discuss this not being censored. But what could happen in the future if we don't act? Now let's discuss all the laws that made this possible all of it when we return. Robert, how can people buy this DVD and all your other products?
2: And you can buy them online um, at Amazon or <clears throat> you can buy it at OrwellWorldSandIt'sGrey.com uh, We, we uh, At that point, that's where they can get them.
0: Excellent. Well, folks, so much more to discuss when we return. And Robert, as I said before, is also going to be with us and our sister radio program Sanitas discussing to age or not to age what a great title
3: also don't go anywhere i'm here with Robert Kane Pappas we'll be right back thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview to listen to the rest and all of our material proceed to the member section or join the Veritas family by subscribing click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com you can make your purchase with a credit card paypal cash check money order And even cryptocurrency we are now accepting bitcoin litecoin and ethereum don't forget to visit the veritas store for focus life force energy mms cbd pure hemp oil divinia water pure organic sulfur flash drives with all our sanitas and veritas seasons and other great products and if you're listening on youtube like subscribe and share it and click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available now Proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.